Well, we are going to open up God's Word, and we're going to continue our journey through Daniel as we just look at what Daniel has for us. Because I believe um, we can get caught up in a lot of what goes on in Daniel, you know, the dreams, the visions, the symbols, and we can get lost in that. We can get obsessed by that. And at times when we do that, we actually miss the point. Because as I mentioned last week, I do believe that Daniel... Daniel's book is a book of hope. And I believe we need a sense of hope in our society, in our world. We talked about the idea that we as people of faith can actually thrive in Babylon because we can all agree we are living in Babylon today. And that even as we live in that, we can thrive in that. That we can actually engage culture in every channel and see the kingdom of God expanding and advancing, and that we can actually do that. And Daniel showed us that that can actually happen, that we can actually be fully engaged in culture, but still maintain our distinct biblical worldview. And as we do that, we learned that God's kingdom is advanced. God's kingdom is built. God's kingdom is expanded in right here and right now, just by us doing that. So we're looking forward to what Daniel has in store for us today, what the Spirit will teach us today. And we're looking in chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to chapter 3, and that's the chapter we're going to be focusing on. And actually, in this chapter, Daniel isn't mentioned even once in this whole entire chapter, but it's about his three friends that we come to know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as you get to Daniel 3, let's just, let's just pause for a moment and let's just lift up a prayer to our God. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is good to be here. And thank you that we can come into your presence and encounter you every day, every week, of every month, of every year. Thank you that today you've heard our prayers. You've heard the prayers that we've offered up through words, and you've heard the prayers that we just couldn't find the words to express. And they were kind of just moans and groans and, and maybe sighs. And you know that you've received that prayer, and we know that you're working it out right now. Thank you for the people that we are lifting up right now, that they are experiencing you in a real and tangible way. We pray for Carol's son, Kirk. Continue to be with him during this cancer journey. We pray that his scheduled surgery this month does not get canceled. It does not get postponed. We know a lot are, are, are happening. Like a lot of that's happening right now. And we're praying against that so they can just attack the cancer that they have found in his bladder. Be with him. Heal him. See him through this journey. We pray for Lydia and Bill as they are still searching for care workers to come in and, and provide the needed care for Kalina. Lord, we ask that you just, you just speed that process up, Lord, that you will just allow the right people to be introduced to them, to cross their path, to find that right fit. But Lord, we, we also pray that you'll provide patience and perseverance, and strength, and 
confidence in you even in the process because usually with stuff like this, it, we have a timeline in mind and most times it's not yours. So I pray that Bill and, and Lydia will just trust you in the midst of all of this. We pray for Gala. We pray for her ankle as it continues to heal and recover. But we pray for her as she's now in the States visiting her brother who's just been diagnosed with cancer. Be with him. We pray for healing, Lord. We pray for whatever care and treatment that he will be receiving. Lord, we pray that it will alleviate the pain. It will allow the cancer to to shrink and even go away. But just bless her time away. Keep her safe. And we just thank you that you will be there with them. Lord, as we look into your word here now, we ask that we will see Jesus, and only Jesus now. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we are in Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start by reading the very first seven chapters. And, and this, is what, this is what we read. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, they bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You don't have to be a Bible scholar here to figure out that there is something here that the author is trying to get us to understand here. That passage is mostly saying the exact same thing over and over and over again to make sure that we are with it on this. And the writer wants us to grasp a few things right off the bat. The first thing is this, that the king is actually putting on a show and everyone who's anyone is invited to come and be part of this party that the king is throwing. But at this party, everyone is going to bow down and worship this golden statue. And like I mentioned last week, what we have to understand when they're saying this, this was like from people from all over the world. Because as I mentioned last week, can King Nebuchadnezzar was, was kind of has, has a title of world emperor here at this time. So you got to imagine, it was, there was people from all, all over the place that came to participate in this. And another thing that we find in these first seven verses is this. Who set up this statue? Did you figure that out? Did you catch on to that? Whose power is on display here? Whose ego is being stroked by all of this? Whose statue is it? 
Well, we know it's the king's statue, right? And in seven verses, he says it seven different times. It says, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar had it set up. King Nebuchadnezzar had the statue set up. We know this is about the king. And I was thinking about this this week. And I think if we're honest, the reality is is that every single one of us are King Nebuchadnezzar in our own way. Really, we are. We all have this tendency to set up statues. And then as we do that, we have the tendency to bow down and worship them. That we set up these things to be gods in our lives that we actually serve. Your God may be different than my false God. Your statue may look different than mine. But no person in all of time has been immune to, by the pole of serving and bowing down before other gods. We all, like Nebuchadnezzar, set up gods. And then as a result of that, to bow down to them. In some cases, though, we expect other people to bow down to our gods as well, right? Now, not all the things that we set up as statues are necessarily bad in of of themselves, but serving them, bowing down to them, worshiping that's where it becomes bad. See, this golden statue that the king has set up is really a statue about him. Let's be honest. It's a statue about him. It's a, it's a statue about his personal value. He is deriving his worth from this statue and from everyone that is bowing down to it. It's not about the statue here. It's about him and his show of power. He has no reason to think that anyone will do anything outside of what he's told them to do because he said he will kill them if they do. Essentially, bow down and serve this statue or, or else, and that else is or you die. So he's expecting a great day here. You got to think of all the pomp and the prestige of this, of this uh, event. He's thinking this is going to be a great day of celebrating me by celebrating how powerful I am, except... <laughs> It doesn't go that way, really, does it? The text tells us in verse 9 that there's this group of people that come forward and they actually denounce the Jews. Literally, the word denounced here in the Hebrew, the term that they used actually means ate them to pieces. So this group comes before the king and they chew up and spit out the Jews by saying, hey, have you heard about these guys? They have said they won't bow down and they won't serve the statue. And as you can imagine, it probably ruined the king's day, right? We see the story continues in verse 13, and it says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? 
So right here, the battle lines have been drawn pretty clearly, haven't they? Essentially, he says, you serve my God and you worship my statue or you die. Though that is the choice. Either you serve this, you bow down to this, or you die. And maybe like Nebuchadnezzar, you have set up some statues in your life. And I think we all have that tendency to do that, and I do. So how do you know if something is a statue in your life? How do you figure out if that thing has been made a statue in your life? And I think there's a few things um, this text can teach us about statues. One of them is, if you associate that thing with your identity and get your value from its success, then it may be a statue. It's like one of these things like, you may be a redneck if, well, if all this happens, it may be a statue. For example, and I'm going to use an extreme example here. You've decided that you will no longer fly on planes. And you got a lot of reasons. In your mind, you got a lot of good, valid reasons. Over time, you develop a reputation of being that person who actually refuses on moral grounds based on your principles. And over time, you realize, man, this takes a lot of dedication. That you have to work some things out in your life around not flying. It takes dedication and sacrifice because now you have to figure out all these different modes of transportation. So if you associate your identity and get value from it, it's probably a statue. Another way you can tell that thing has become a statue, if you get defensive when that thing is threatened by someone or some other thing. If you get defensive about it, that may be that then you may have made that thing into a statue. For example, we go back to you not flying on planes. You don't fly on planes, and then your aunt, she dies. And she was like a mother to you. And she lives on the other side of the country. The funeral is in two days, and you can't get there unless, you got it, you fly. Just think, trying to get from Vancouver Island all the way, say, to like Nova Scotia. We know it takes more than two days if you chose not to fly. Now you're faced with a choice, and now you see yourself starting to get defensive, and you think about your cousins, and you say, how dare you ask, how dare you ask me to fly on a plane? Why weren't my feelings taken into consideration while you were planning the funeral? So if you get defensive, that thing might be a statue. If you proceed to cut off anyone or disregard the opinions of other people, it might be a statue. And it's not, not just people who challenge you on flying, it's really anyone who flies on planes. Then you've made up your thing, a statue. For example, You can't believe that good people would actually fly on planes. So you just rather keep your distance from all those people. So you just kind of disregard anyone who doesn't hold the same opinions as you do. Now I get it. Obvious. The plane thing is extreme. Provocated used a lot of other things that are very relevant to our day right now. But I chose to use a plane example. 
But maybe it helps you to see that we all have some things in our lives that maybe we have a tendency to set up as statues. We sometimes not only bow down to those things ourselves, but now we expect others to bow down to them as well. And a lot of things can be statues. And the things themselves aren't necessarily bad or evil. It's just it's when it becomes something that we organize our life around, that we make the center of our life, that we bow down and we worship that thing. That's when it becomes a statue. That's not only the, only the statues we run into the world. It's not just the ones we put up for ourselves that are the problem. We also bump into everybody else's statues along the way as well, don't we? We find ourselves being asked to bow down to others, and that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves. They're being asked to bow down to someone else's statue. And these guys, let's be honest, they don't have a lot of great options here at all. They can abandon their God. They can abandon their God. Or they can die. Really not great options, right? That's what they have been given. That's the choices that they've been given. If they choose to obey the king and bow down to that statue, then they abandon all of the principles, all of their beliefs, and the core of who they are is Jewish men. So the choice that's been given to them, the challenge, the threat, has been bow before the golden statue or else. And maybe some of you find yourself in a very similar situation. Someone else has built a statue and you are expected to bow down before it, to serve someone else's golden god. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have statues in our lives that we are being asked to bow down to. We are being told to serve or else. So what is it for you? What is it for you? And I hope that maybe you are thinking of some things because we'll never break free from the statues unless we do a few things. And that's what our focus is going to be on. Okay, how, now that we've identified some of these statues, how do we get rid of these statues? I don't want to abandon God. I don't want to abandon my beliefs. I don't want to abandon my principles. I want to continue to serve God. So how do I get these statues out? Well, I believe one of the first steps to help breaking down and breaking yourself free of these statues is that you need to name the statues. Plain and simple, you need to name the statues in your life. You have to be willing to look them in the eye and to name them for what they are. You see, naming, stat naming statues, actually it starts the process of taking away their power that they have in our life. Because once we name them, we can actually start to see that they were all a lie to begin with. So you have to, and you need to, name your statues. What are they right now? What are they? And I can't think of a better example of how to deal with statues than what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in response to, that, to the king's question of this, who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? He's like, there is no God that is more powerful than me. What God will deliver you from me? 
This is what they say. This is their response to that question. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. So you see, after you name the statues, after you do that, the next thing that you need to do is you need to refuse to serve them. You need to refuse to serve them just like how we see these three men do. A couple things about this, this next step of refusing to serve them. Obedience comes with consequences. That's something that we need to recognize. Obedience comes with consequences. Choosing not to serve the statues often means accepting some consequences with it. And I don't know what they will be, but I think we need to be honest about it. That oftentimes, when we refuse to serve the statues, there are consequences for those choices. And they're not always good consequences. Secondly, these guys don't waste their time defending themselves or refuting the uh, king's claim. They just profess their faith and they stand on it. That's what they do. There was no speech. I was going to convince the king to actually save them in this situation. And by doing that, they have taken the power away from the king and his statue, and they put it back where it belongs. Either God will save us or God won't, but we will not serve your God and your statue. They're taking the power away, and they're putting it back to where it belongs in on God, And we need to do the same thing. Because as you name the statues and as you refuse to serve them, you are actually taking power away from that thing and you're placing the power back to where it belongs on God. Their stated confidence in God's ability to deliver them from the fiery furnace directly answers the king's challenge that no God could do so. But their obedience does not hinge on the expectation that God will actually rescue them. They obeyed God simply because it was the right thing to do. And I don't want us to miss this. The profession of faith that God can often comes before God does, right? The profession of faith that God can often comes before God does. And we see that. We see that truth with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It welcomes the very distinct possibility that God will not save us the way that we hope that he will. See, the profession comes first in this story so that we know, that they know, it could, it could go either way. But regardless of what God does, they say we will not serve the king's statue. And the text tells us that he was so mad that his faith actually was distorted with rage. 
and he orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. In fact, the text goes on to detail and tells us that the guards that bound up these three men and were the ones that were told to throw them into the furnace, and as they did that, they themselves were killed by the flames coming out of the furnace. That's how hot it was. Guards on the outside of the furnace got killed because of the heat. Let's continue the story down in verse 24. This is what we're going to read. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Well, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Well, look, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth, the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. See, when you start refusing to serve the statues, I can't promise you that you won't face your own fiery furnace of some kind. I can't promise it won't come without risks, without sacrifice, or even scary situations. But Daniel 3 teaches us this, that we can actually refuse to serve the statues and accept the consequences because in the midst of the fire, we will not be alone. That's what Daniel 3 is teaching us. We can refuse to serve the statues that we have set up or other people have set up and accept the consequences for that because in the very midst of the fire, we will not be alone. We can declare with confidence that we will not worship your gods and we can walk forward into an unknown future as a result because we know we will not be walking alone. See, our willingness to be thrown into the fire for God's sake not only opens up different experiences of God in ways we couldn't even imagine, but it also creates opportunity. It creates opportunities for others to be astonished and to be able to see God in the midst of our fire. See, it starts with refusing to bow down to the statue. I don't know what your statues are here today. But more than likely, you won't have some sort of critical moment where you will, would need to look into the king's eye and say, I'm out. For many of us, we don't face life or death decisions about our statues, as is true in so much of life. But it's the little decisions. It's those little decisions that determine which statues we're bowing down to. It's the decisions that we make when no one else is looking. And it's often those decisions that determine who or what 
we are serving and bowing down to. So how do we refuse the statues? Well, I do know we won't be able to do it by willpower alone. And there's a reason that they become statues in our lives in the first place. They obviously have some sort of power over us in some way. So if we can't do it on our own, then we can only do it by the power of God that is alive in us. And we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. So I want to challenge us to begin to pray a prayer every day this week. And hopefully it's, this prayer is prayed more than just these next seven days. But this is the prayer I encourage us and I challenge us to pray. God, how can I serve you today? That's the prayer. God, how can I serve you today? Imagine how that one little sentence could reset our perspective, our intentions for our day, how God might show us promptings and ways we could serve him that we might not have seen except by the power of this little prayer. I want to serve you, God, not my statues. Imagine what would happen in our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our job places, if everyone in this place would pray this one little prayer, God, how can I serve you today? Imagine the kinds of statues that might get torn down. In church, I want to see statues being torn down in our lives. I want to see that. I really do. And one last thing. Nebuchadnezzar goes on to make some very flowery statements about God. And if you don't read it carefully, you might actually mistake it for an actual conversion. This is what we read in verse 28. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It goes down to verse 29. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people... Whatever their race, nation, language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Sounds like he's converting, doesn't it? Sounds like he had a Jesus moment, right? But what he's really saying is this to these guys. He's like, man, your God, he's so cool. I've never seen a trick like that before. So let's, let's do this. Let's set up a 90-foot statue to your God right beside the one we made of my God, and people can serve both. In fact, how about this? We'll just set up statues to everybody's gods and let, and let it be fine for people to serve whatever God they want. That's kind of what's going on here. But here's what we know about God. God does not want to be one of the gods you serve. God isn't interested in you building another 90-foot statue. God says, there's just me. There's just me. Worship me alone. And centuries later, after all this, Paul writes a letter to the church of Philippi about the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had served. And he pens a poem 
about Jesus that ends with these words. When he appeared in, in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, every tongue, he says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, God is not one among many. He is the only God. In fact, God is the only God that says this. I'm, I'm not satisfied to be distant from the people that I created. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to come down and walk amongst them. You know, I'm not satisfied with the brokenness and the sin to rule their lives. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up on this cross and I'm going to die a criminal's death to heal the bridge between us. You know what? I'm not satisfied for the world to be a broken place and for evil to reign. So I will be in the process of restoring and redeeming our world. Our God is the only God that does anything like that. Our God is the only God that says, I don't want to be worshipped just for worship's sake. I don't want them to be forced to worship me. I want my people to choose to worship me. I want my people to want to worship me. Our God is the only God that does that. Nebuchadnezzar says this. He says, you will pay for your sins against me with your life. Jesus died on the cross to say this. I will pay for your sins with my life. Nebuchadnezzar demands perfect loyalty or else. Jesus calls you to come just as you all are all, with all of your failures, with all of your flaws, so, and, and to allow him to give you new life. And he says, let me restore you from the flames. Let me walk you through the fire. And he's saying, just come. Come and worship me. Come and bow down to me. And I will walk with you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we serve the one true God that we read about in your word. Lord, with this idea of the statues that we set up in our lives, Lord, I pray that we can go through the process that we looked at, that we can name these statues. Because as we name these statues, what we're doing is we're taking the power away from it and we're placing it on where it belongs, and that's on God. And as we name these statues, I pray that we will refuse to serve them and take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's example and live that out, that we can refuse to serve other gods and that we could place our faith in Jesus Christ and knowing that regardless of what happens, we will not be alone in the journey, that he will be with us. He will 
restore us from the flames and walk us through the fire. And I pray that you just help us to reveal these statues and start this process of these statues being torn down for good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.